Well, one thing I find interesting about the human species is that we can believe in an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing God, and yet still want to control God's every move. Isn't that ironic? It's like there's this spectacular masterpiece being created behind the scenes of our lives, and we're down here with our little preschool coloring sheets telling God what it should look like and to please don't color outside the lines. We try so hard to contain God because we really can't imagine anything but the known world around us. We'd prefer an easy paint-by-numbers kind of uh, piece of art that replicates what we know and it meets our own limited understanding rather than go with the masterpiece that hasn't quite yet been unveiled yet. Well, allow me to ponder that maybe we get a little bit of a healthy dose of skepticism about what God has in store from us, for us, I mean, and it goes way back. It goes way back to our spiritual sister, Sarah, who we just heard from. Sarah, who was told that she would finally become a mother when she was definitely too old for late-night feedings and chasing around after toddlers. Sarah, who had already given up on her own ability to give Abraham any children, and so she had given her servant Hagar to do the job for her. Sarah, who stood in the shadows and laughed when she heard God's plan, the good news, if you can consider age 90, having a baby, good news. And it was hers that was the laugh heard round the world, or at least around the tent encampment, because immediately Sarah gets called out by God. They get in a little bit of a back and forth with each other. God says, why did you laugh? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And Sarah says, I didn't laugh. And God says, uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> And then she says, I did not laugh. And God says, oh, yes, you did. Period. End of story. God gets the final word. So when God says to Sarah and to us, basically, is anything too wonderful for the Lord, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is supposed to be, no, of course not. But I'm kind of with Sarah here a little bit. If nothing is too wonderful for the Lord, then why wait so long to give Sarah and Abraham children in the first place? And what do you and I do then with all of those pesky, unanswered prayers of our own? What about the women who pray and never get pregnant or those whose children are sick and never get better? What about the oppressed who never get to rise up? What about the cancer that comes back or the job that never materializes? I mean, if God could make some of these personal crises and trials and challenges of ours turn around, that would be pretty wonderful, wouldn't it? So it's tempting to think that if things don't work out the way we would like them to, and in the time frame that we have in mind, which, face it, is usually right now, thank you very much. We think that God is not at work. 
and we're left on our own to figure it out, to take control ourselves, which, by the way, that song that Art sang, I did not know he was choosing, fits perfectly with this idea. What I've found in my life is that my taking charge of things is usually the least effective way to go, and a little patience is probably in order. The psalmist wrote, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. It says other, another place in the Psalms, commit your ways to the Lord, trust in God, be still and wait patiently. Lamentation says God is good to those who wait on him, to the soul who seeks him. Isaiah says, blessed are those who wait on God. On and on it goes in scripture. Over and over again, we're told to be patient, to wait on God, on God's perfect timing. So much so that I don't know about you, but the words of the prophet Habakkuk are like a balm when we finally read them in the Old Testament because Habakkuk says what we're all probably really thinking, which is how long, how long must I call for help and you don't listen, God? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know that many of us have felt that. Well, the ancient Greeks have two ways of talking about time. Chronos time is chronological, which the word itself sort of implies some sort of logic and order to our time. It's measured in seconds and minutes and hours, days, weeks, years, etc. It's why the clock was invented, and it's why we're still slaves to the clock today. Kronos time requires our planning and thoughtfulness. It requires doing and perseverance and waiting. But Kairos time, Kairos time is divine time. It's defined as an opportune time, a strategic time. Kairos time is the unfolding of God's both words, kairos and chronos, are used extensively throughout the New Testament, especially as a way to delineate human time from God's time. Philosophers and mystics refer to kairos time as deep time, where the world just seems to stop entirely. It can be measured, they say, in deep exhales, laughter, beautiful sunsets a sense of inexplicable peace. Kairos time doesn't depend on any kind of clock. It's just time that can't be measured. Divine timing can seem to take an eternity, but it can also happen suddenly. It can be a recognizable moment of utter transcendence, and it can also be something that's only fully understood when we look back through time. Franciscan friar and author Richard Rohr refers to Kairos as those moments in life when you stop and say, oh my God, I get it now. Or this is as perfect as it can be. Or it doesn't get any better than this. One way, of, <coughs> excuse me, one way of looking at it 
is that kairos moments allow us to get a glimpse of the other side. It allows us to kind of peek around the corner of eternity and glimpse God at work. And even though a scripture like the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises might seem, well, laughable, when we consider how long it took for Sarah to have a baby or when we consider, for example, why the wheels of justice seem to take so long and move so slowly, it's also true that God's timing can happen suddenly, as I said. Consider these examples. Peter's boat was empty, no fish to be found anywhere. Lazarus was dead and already in his grave. 5,000 people needed to be fed. You all probably know these stories and you know the ending to them as well. And they all have one thing in common. In every single one of these situations, Jesus showed up and things suddenly, suddenly changed. Peter's net is suddenly full. Lazarus walks out of the graves. There's suddenly enough food to go around for a crowd of people. There's so many of these Kairos moments throughout scripture. Joseph just happened to wind up in the same cell as the man who would plead his case before the king. Ruth just happened to gather wheat from a field where she would meet Boaz, who was the man that would redeem her family. Esther just happened to be married to the king and was able to talk him out of annihilating the entire Jewish population. David just happened to be pretty good with a slingshot when he showed up in the field to meet Goliath. The woman with the bleeding disorder just happened to touch Jesus' clothing and was healed. On and on. Jesus shows up, things change. We all walk through challenging seasons of life, sometimes totally unexplainable. But what we know is that when God is near, things just seem to happen. They shift suddenly. Sometimes in what we would consider really insignificant ways, but always exactly what we need in the moment. And that's because God's plan is always good. It is always better than we would have expected it to be. I don't care what you're going through right now in life. I do, but I don't, it doesn't matter. It, it's, it's, uh, what am I trying to say? I care deeply about what you're going through in life, but whatever it is, there is not one bad thing in your life right now that God orchestrated in, e in order to teach you a lesson or to get back at you for something that you did. Nothing. That's just not how our God operates. God works all things together for good. He takes what you're experiencing and God helps make it better. But man, that takes some trust and some patience and some hope, doesn't it? That's kind of part two of the scripture verse from Romans. God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Loving God and being called to God's purposes, God's plans for your life. 
That means having patience and hope. Trusting that God's purposes are playing out in our lives and that all will be well no matter what. Sometimes that means taking the trust and our hope to the nth degree, saying to ourselves, even then, all will be well. Yeah, but what if, no, no, even then, all will be well. But, 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 no, even then, all will be well. It takes that kind of trust. That kind of faith means shifting from chronos time to kairos time, from our timing to God's timing, from our plan A to plan B, B-E. Plan A to plan B. Just be. Be still and wait patiently. Don't try to control it all. Trust. Just be. God will provide. Remember when the Israelites were wandering in the desert? They were on their way to the promised land, and it was taking about 40 years longer than they thought it should. Remember that? There were trials. There were setbacks. People died before they ever made it to the promised land. So it was a hard time. And through it all, God didn't say, well, you're going to get there on this day and in this time, and here's how this is going to go. These are the things that are going to happen, and this is how it's going to happen. God doesn't do that. Unfortunately, he's not a big picture kind of guy. So there's little specificity to the plans that God gives us. But what God did do for the Israelites was provide daily, in-the-moment care. Manna. Manna every single day to meet their basic needs. Their daily needs were met as they simply took one step at a time in the right direction. Which, let's face it, is all we can ever really do when we're going through challenging times. Slow but steady, one step at a time. God provides exactly what we need for this day. And when we can be present enough to notice those divine shifts happening around us and get to peek around the corner of eternity just a little bit, seeing how God works, we might just find we prefer that to the busyness of our own timing. I mentioned earlier that the prophet Habakkuk, which is a small book of prophecy in the Old Testament, Habakkuk cried out in despair, How long, Lord, must I call to you and you don't listen? Well, immediately after that, this is how God responds. God says, Watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. It may take time. It might be harder than you expect and require more strength than you ever knew you had. It might not be at all what you or your loved ones envisioned your life to be. But I hope you watch in amazement at what God has in store for you right now no matter what you're experiencing, because nothing is too wonderful for the Lord.